Section 22 of London Labour and the London Poor, Volume 2, by Henry Mayhew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry. Of the Jew Old Clothesmen Fifty years ago, the appearance of the street Jews, engaged in the purchase of second-hand clothes, was different to what it is at the present time. The Jew had then far more of the distinctive garb and aspect of a foreigner. He not unfrequently wore the gabardine, which is never seen now in the streets, but some of the long loose frock coats worn by the Jew clothes buyers resemble it. At that period, too, the Jew's long beard was far more distinctive than it is in this hirsute generation. In other respects, the street Jew is unchanged. Now, as during the last century, he traverses every street, square and road, with a monotonous cry, sometimes like a bleat, of glo, glo. On this head, however, I have previously remarked when describing the street Jew of a hundred years ago. In an inquiry into the condition of the old clothes dealers a year and a half ago, a Jew gave me the following account. He told me, at the commencement of his statement, that he was of opinion that his people were far more speculative than the Gentiles, and therefore the English liked better to deal with them. Our people, he said, will be out all day in the wet, and begrudge themselves a bit of anything to eat till they go home, and then, maybe, they'll gamble away their crown just for the love of speculation. My informant, who could write or speak several languages, and had been fifty years in the business, then said, I am no bigot. Indeed, I do not care where I buy my meat, so long as I can get it. I often go into the minories and buy some, without looking to how it has been killed, or whether it has a seal on it or not. He then gave me some account of the Jewish children and the number of men in the trade, which I have embodied under the proper heads. The itinerant Jew clothesman, he told me, was generally the son of a former old clothesman, but some were cigar makers or pencil makers, taking to the clothes business when those trades were slack, but that nineteen out of twenty had been born to it. If the parents of the Jew boy are poor, and the boy a sharp lad, he generally commences business at ten years of age, by selling lemons or some trifle in the streets, and so, as he expressed it, the boy gets around, or street connection, by becoming known to the neighbourhoods he visits. If he sees a servant, he will, when selling his lemons, ask if she have any old shoes or old clothes, and offer to be a purchaser. If the clothes should come to more than the Jew boy has in his pocket, he leaves what silver he has as an earnest upon them, and then seeks some regular Jew clothesman who will advance the purchase money. This the old Jew agrees to do upon the understanding that he is to have half Rybeck, that is, a moiety of the profit, and then he will accompany the boy to the house, to pass his judgment on the goods, and satisfy himself that the stripling has not made a blind bargain, an error into which he very rarely falls. After this he goes with the lad to Petticoat Lane, and there they share whatever money the clothes may bring over and above what has been paid for them. By such means the Jew boy gets his knowledge of the old clothes business, and so quick are these lads generally 
that in the course of two months they will acquire sufficient experience in connection with the trade to begin dealing on their own account. There are some, he told me, as sharp at fifteen as men of fifty. It is very seldom, my informant stated, very seldom indeed, that a Jew clothesman takes away any of the property of the house he may be called into. I expect there's a good many of them, he continued, for he sometimes spoke of his co-traders as if they were not of his own class. Is fond of cheating, that is, they won't mind giving only two shillings for a thing that's worth five shillings. They are fond of money and will do almost anything to get it. Jews are perhaps the most money-loving people in all England. There are certainly some old clothesmen who will buy articles at such a price that they must know them to have been stolen. Their rule, however, is to ask no questions and to get as cheap an article as possible. A Jew clothesman is seldom or never seen in liquor. They gamble for money either at their own homes or at public houses. The favourite games are tossing, dominoes and cards. I was informed by one of the people that he had seen as much as thirty pounds in silver and gold lying upon the ground when two parties had been playing at throwing three halfpence in the air. On a Saturday some gamble away the morning and the greater part of the afternoon. Note, Saturday, I need hardly say, is the Hebrew Sabbath. End note. They meet in some secret back place, about ten, and begin playing for one a time, that is, tossing up three halfpence and staking a shilling on the result. Other Jews and a few Christians will gather round and bet. Sometimes the bets laid by the Jew bystanders are as high as two pounds each, and on more than one occasion the old clothesmen have wagered as much as fifty pounds, but only after great gains at gambling. Some, if they can, will cheat, by means of a halfpenny with a head or a tail on both sides, called a grey. The play lasts till the Sabbath is nearly over, and then they go to business or the theatre. They seldom or never say a word while they are losing, but merely stamp on the ground. It is dangerous, though, to interfere when luck runs against them. The rule is, when a man is losing, to let him alone. I have known them play for three hours together, and nothing be said all that time but head or tail. They seldom go to synagogue, and on a Sunday evening have card parties at their own houses. They seldom eat anything on their rounds. The reason is not because they object to eat meat killed by a Christian, but because they are afraid of losing a deal or the chance of buying a lot of old clothes by delay. They are generally too lazy to light their own fires before they start of a morning, and nineteen out of twenty obtain their breakfasts at the coffee shops about Houndsditch. When they return from their day's work, they have mostly some stew ready, prepared by their parents or wife. If they are not family men, they go to an eating house. This is sometimes a Jewish house, but if no one is looking, they creep into a Christian cook shop, not being particular about eating trifer, that is, meat which has been killed by a Christian. Those that are single generally go to a neighbour and agree with him to be boarded on the Sabbath. And for this, the charge is generally about two shillings sixpence. On a Saturday, there's cold fish for breakfast and supper. Indeed, a Jew would pawn the shirt off his back sooner than go without fish then, and in holiday time he will have it if he has to get it out of the stones. It is not reckoned a holiday unless there's fish.
Forty years ago, I have made as much as five pounds in a week by the purchase of old clothes in the streets, said a Jew informant. Upon an average, then, I could earn weekly about two pounds. But now things are different. People are more wide awake. Everyone knows the value of an old coat nowadays. The women know more than the men. The general average, I think, take the good weeks with the bad throughout the year, is about a pound a week. Some weeks we get two pounds, and some scarcely nothing. I was told by a Jewish professional gentleman that the account of the spirit of gambling prevalent among his people was correct, but the amounts said to be staked he thought rare or exaggerated. The Jew old clothesmen are generally far more cleanly in their habits than the poorer classes of English people. Their hands they always wash before their meals, and this is done whether the party be a strict Jew or Meshumet, a convert or apostate from Judaism. Neither will the Israelite ever use the same knife to cut his meat that he previously used to spread his butter, and he will not even put his meat on a plate that has had butter on it nor will he use for his soup the spoon that has had melted butter in it. This objection to mix butter with meat is carried so far that, after partaking of the one, Jews will not eat of the other for the space of two hours. The Jews are generally, when married, most exemplary family men. There are few fonder fathers than they are, and they will starve themselves sooner than their wives and children should want. Whatever their faults may be, they are good fathers, husbands, and sons. Their principal characteristic is their extreme love of money, and though the strict Jew does not trade himself on the Sabbath, he may not object to employ either one of his tribe or a Gentile to do so for him. The capital required for commencing in the old clothes line is generally about a pound. This the Jew frequently borrows, especially after holiday time, for then he has generally spent all his earnings, unless he be a provident man. When his stock money is exhausted, he goes either to a neighbour or to a publican in the vicinity, and borrows a pound on the Monday morning, to strike a light with, as he calls it, and agrees to return it on the Friday evening with a shilling interest for the loan. This he always pays back. If he was to sell the coat off his back, he would do this, I am told, because to fail in so doing would be to prevent his obtaining any stock money for the future. With this capital he starts on his rounds about eight in the morning, and I am assured he will frequently begin his work without tasting food, rather than break into the borrowed stock money. Each man has his particular walk, and never interferes with that of his neighbour. Indeed, while upon another's beat he will seldom cry for clothes, Sometimes they go half Rybeck together, that is, they will share the profits of the day's business, and when they agree to do this, the one will take one street and the other another. The lower the neighbourhood, the more old clothes are there for sale. At the east end of the town, they like the neighbourhoods frequented by sailors, and there they purchase of the girls and the women the sailors' jackets and trousers, but they buy most of the Petticoat Lane, the old clothes exchange, and the marine store dealers, for as the Jew clothesman never travels the streets by night-time, the parties who then have old clothes to dispose of usually sell them to the marine store or second-hand dealers overnight, and the Jew buys them in the morning. 
The first thing that he does on his rounds is to seek out these shops and see what he can pick up there. A very great amount of business is done by the Jew clothesman at the marine store shops at the west as well as at the east end of London. At the west end, the itinerant clothesmen prefer the mews at the back of gentlemen's houses to all other places, or else the streets where the little tradesmen and small genteel families reside. My informant assured me that he had once bought a bishop's hat of his lordship's servant for one shilling sixpence on a Sunday morning. These traders, as I have elsewhere stated, live at the east end of the town. The greater number of them reside in Port Soken Ward, Houndsditch, and their favourite localities in this district are either Cobb's Yard, Roper's Building, or Wentworth Street. They mostly occupy small houses, about four shillings sixpence a week rent, and live with their families. They are generally sober men. It is seldom that a Jew leaves his house and owes his landlord money, and if his goods should be seized, the rest of his tribe will go round and collect what is owing. The rooms occupied by the old clothesmen are far from being so comfortable as those of the English artisans, whose earnings are not superior to the gains of these clothesmen. Those which I saw had all a littered look. The furniture was old and scant, and the apartment seemed neither shop, parlour, nor bedroom. For domestic and family men, as some of the Jew old clothesmen are, they seem very indifferent to the comforts of a home. I have spoken of trifer, or meat killed in the Christian fashion. Now the meat killed according to the Jewish law is known as kosher, and a strict Jew will eat none other. In one of my letters in the Morning Chronicle on the meat markets of London, there appeared the following statement respecting the Jew butchers in Whitechapel Market. Quote, to a portion of the meat here exposed for sale may be seen attached the peculiar seal which shows that the animal was killed conformably to the Jewish rites. According to the injunctions of this religion, the beast must die from its throat being cut instead of being knocked on the head. The slaughterer of the cattle for Jewish consumption, moreover, must be a Jew. Two slaughterers are appointed by the Jewish authorities of the synagogue, and they can employ others, who must be likewise Jews, as assistants. The slaughterers I saw were quiet-looking and quiet-mannered men. When the animal is slaughtered and skinned, an examiner, also appointed by the synagogue, carefully inspects the inside. If the lights be grown to the ribs, said my informant, who had had many years' experience in this branch of the meat trade, or if the lungs have any disease, or if there be any disease anywhere, the meat is pronounced unfit for the food of the Jews, and is sent entire to a carcass butcher to be sold to the Christians. This, however, does not happen once in twenty times. To the parts exposed for sale when the slaughtering has been according to the Jewish law, there is attached a leaden seal stamped in Hebrew characters with the name of the examining party sealing. In this way, as I ascertained from the slaughterers, are killed weekly from 120 to 140 bullocks, from 400 to 500 sheep and lambs, and about 30 calves. All the parts of the animal thus slaughtered may be and are eaten by the Jews, but three-fourths of the purchase of this meat is confined, as regards the Jews, to the four quarters of the respective animals. 
the hind quarters being the choicer parts, are sent to Newgate or Leadenhall markets for sale on commission. End quote. The Hebrew butchers consider that the Christian mode of slaughter is a far less painful death to the ox than was the Jewish. I am informed that of the Jew old clothesmen, there are now only from 500 to 600 in London. At one time there might have been a thousand. Their average earnings may be something short of 20 shillings a week in second-hand clothes alone, but the gains are difficult to estimate. Of a Jew Street Seller An elderly man, who at the time I saw him was vending spectacles, or bartering them for old clothes, old books, or any second-hand articles, gave me an account of his street life, but it presented little remarkable beyond the not unusual vicissitudes of the lives of those of his class. He had been in every street trade, and had on four occasions travelled all over England, selling quills, sealing wax, pencils, sponges, braces, cheap or superior jewellery, thermometers and pictures. He had sold barometers in the mountainous parts of Cumberland, sometimes walking for hours without seeing man or woman. I liked it then, he said, for I was young and strong, and didn't care to sleep twice in the same town. I was afterwards in the old clothes line. I buy a few odd hats and light things still, but I'm not able to carry heavy weights, as my breath is getting rather short. Note, I find that the Jews generally object to the more laborious kinds of street traffic. End note. Yes, I've been twice to Ireland, and sold a good many quills in Dublin, for I crossed over from Liverpool. Quills and wax were a great trade with us once. Now it's quite different. I've had as much as sixty pounds of my own, and that more than half a dozen times, but all of it went in speculations. Yes, some went in gambling. I had a share in a gaming booth at the races for three years. Oh, I dare say that's more than twenty years back. But we did very little good. There was such fees to pay for the tent on a race-ground, and often such delays between the races in the different towns, and bribes to be given to the town officers, such as town sergeants and chief constables, and I hardly know who, and so many expenses altogether that the profits were mostly swamped. Once at Newcastle races there was a fight among the pitmen, and our tent was in their way and was demolished almost to bits. A deal of the money was lost or stolen. I don't know how much, but not near so much as my partners wanted to make out. I wasn't on the spot just at the time. I got married after that and took a shop in the second-hand clothes line in Bristol, but my wife died in childbed in less than a year, and the shop didn't answer, so I got sick of it and at last got rid of it. Oh, I work both the country and London still. I shall take a turn into Kent in a day or two. I suppose I clear between ten shillings and twenty shillings a week in anything, and as I've only myself, I do middling, and I'm ready for another chance if any likely speculation offers. I lodge with a relation, and sometimes live with his family. No, I never touch any meat but kosher. I suppose my meat now costs me sixpence or sevenpence a day, but it has cost me ten times that, and tuppence for beer in addition. I am informed that there are about fifty adult Jews, besides old clothesmen, in the streets selling fruit, cakes, pencils, spectacles, sponge, accordions, drugs, and so on.
of the Jew Boy Street Seller. I have ascertained, and from sources where no ignorance on the subject could prevail, that there are now in the streets of London rather more than 100 Jew boys engaged principally in fruit and cake selling in the streets. Very few Jewesses are itinerant street sellers. Most of the older Jews thus engaged have been street sellers from their boyhood. The young Jews who ply in street callings, however, are all men in matters of traffic, almost before they cease in years to be children. In addition to the Jew boy street sellers above enumerated, there are from 50 to 100, but usually about 50, who are occasional or casual street traders, vending for the most part coconuts and grapes, and confining their sales chiefly to the Sundays. On the subject of the street Jew boys, a Hebrew gentleman said to me, quote, When we speak of street Jew boys, it should be understood that the great majority of them are but little more conversant with or interested in the religion of their fathers than are the costermonger boys of whom you have written. They are Jews by the accident of their birth, as others in the same way with equal ignorance of the assumed faith are Christians. End quote. I received from a Jew boy the following account of his trading pursuits and individual aspirations. There was somewhat of a thickness in his utterance, otherwise his speech was but little distinguishable from that of an English street boy. His physiognomy was decidedly Jewish, but not of the handsomer type. His hair was light-coloured but clean, and apparently well-brushed, without being oiled, or, as I heard a street-boy style it, greased. It was long, and he said his aunt told him it wanted cutting sadly, but he liked it that way. Indeed, he kept dashing his curls from his eyes, and back from his temples, as he was conversing, as if he were somewhat vain of doing so. He was dressed in a corduroy suit, old but not ragged, and wore a tolerably clean, very coarse, and altogether buttonless shirt, which he said, was made for one bigger than me, sir. He had bought it for ninepence halfpenny in Petticoat Lane, and accounted it a bargain, as its wear would be durable. He was selling sponges when I saw him, and of the commonest kind, offering a large piece for threepence, which he admitted would be rubbed to bits in no time. This sponge, I should mention, is frequently dressed with sulphuric acid, and an eminent surgeon informed me that on his servant attempting to clean his black dress coat with a sponge that he had newly bought in the streets, the colour of the garment, to his horror, changed to a bright purple. The Jew boy said, quote, I believe I'm twelve. I've been to school, but it's long since, and my mother was very ill then, and I was forced to go out in the streets to have a chance. I never was kept to school. I can't read. I forgot all about it. I'd rather now that I could read, but very likely I could soon learn, if I could only spare time. But if I stay long in the house, I feel sick. It's not healthy. Oh, no, sir, inside or out, it would be all the same to me, just to make a living and keep my health. I can't say how long it is since I began to sell. It's a good long time. One must do something. I could keep myself now, and do sometimes, but my father, I live with him, my mother's dead, is often laid up. Would you like to see him, sir? He knows a deal. No, he can't write, but he can read a little. Can I speak Hebrew? Well, I know what you mean. Oh, no, I can't. I don't go to synagogue. I haven't time. My father goes, but only sometimes. 
So he says, and he tells me to look out, for we must both go by and by. Note, I began to ask him what he knew of Joseph and others recorded in the Old Testament, but he bristled up and asked if I wanted to make a mishamit, a convert of him. End note. I have sold all sorts of things, he continued, oranges and lemons and sponges and nuts and sweets. I should like to have a real good ginger beer fountain of my own, but I must wait, and there's many in the trade. I only go with boys of my own sort. I sell to all sorts of boys, but that's nothing. Very likely they're Christians, but that's nothing to me. I don't know what's the difference between a Jew and Christian, and I don't want to talk about it. The Meshemites are never any good. Anybody will tell you that. Yes, I like music and can sing a bit. I get to a penny and sometimes a tuppenny concert. No, I haven't been to Sussex Hall. I know where it is. I shouldn't understand it. You get in for nothing, that's one thing. I've heard of Baron Rothschild. He has more money than I could count in shillings in a year. I don't know about his wanting to get into Parliament or what it means but he's sure to do it or anything else with his money. He's very charitable, I've heard. I don't know whether he's a German Jew or a Portuguese or what. He's a cut above me, a precious sight. I only wish he was my uncle. I can't say what I should do if I had his money. Perhaps I should go a-travelling and see everything everywhere. I don't know how long the Jews have been in England. Always, perhaps. Yes, I know there's Jews in other countries. This sponge is Greek sponge, but I don't know where it's grown, only it's in foreign parts. Jerusalem, yes, I've heard of it. I'm of no tribe that I know of. I buy what I eat about Petticoat Lane. No, I don't like fish, but the stews and the onions with them is beautiful for tuppence. You may get a penn'orth. The pickles, cowcumbers is best, are stunning, but they're plummiest with a bit of cheese or anything cold. That's my opinion, but you may think different. Pork, ah, no, I never touched it. I'd as soon eat a cat. So would my father. No, sir, I don't think pork smells nice in a cook shop, but some Jew boys, as I knows, thinks it does. I don't know why it shouldn't be eaten, only that it's wrong to eat it. No, I never touched a ham sandwich, but other Jew boys have and laughed at it, I know. I don't know what I make in a week. I think I make as much on one thing as on another. I've sold strawberries and cherries and gooseberries and nuts and walnuts in the season. Oh, as to what I make, that's nothing to nobody. Sometimes sixpence a day, sometimes a shilling, sometimes a little more, and sometimes nothing. No, I never sells inferior things if I can help it. But if one hasn't stock money, one must do as one can. But it isn't so easy to try it on. There was a boy beaten by a woman not long since for selling a big bottle of strawberries that was rubbish all under the toppers. It was all strawberry leaves and crushed strawberries and such like. She wanted to take back from him the tuppence she'd paid for it and got hold of his pockets and there was a regular fight. But she didn't get a farthing back though she tried her very hardest cause he slipped from her and hooked it. So you see it's dangerous to try it on. Note, this last remark was made gravely enough, but the lad told of the feat with such manifest glee that I'm inclined to believe that he himself was the culprit in question. End note. 
Yes, it was a Jew boy it happened to, but other boys in the streets is just the same. Do I like the streets? I can't say I do. There's too little to be made in them. No, I wouldn't like to go to school, nor to be in a shop, nor be anybody's servant but my own. Oh, I don't know what I shall be when I'm grown up. I shall take my chance like others. End quote. Of the pursuits, dwellings, traffic and so on, of the Jew boy street sellers. To speak of the street Jew boys as regards their traffic, manners, haunts and associations is to speak of the same class of boys who may not be employed regularly in street sale but are the comrades of those who are, a class who, on any cessation of their employment in cigar manufactories or indeed any capacity, will apply themselves temporarily to street selling for it seems to these poor and uneducated lads a sort of natural vocation. These youths, uncontrolled or incontrollable by their parents, who are of the lowest class of the Jews, and who often, I am told, care little about the matter, so long as the child can earn his own maintenance, frequently in the evenings, after their day's work, resort to coffee shops, in preference even to a cheap concert room, in these places they amuse themselves as men might do in a tavern where the landlord leaves his guests to their own caprices. Sometimes one of them reads aloud from some exciting or degrading book, the lads who are unable to read listening with all the intentness with which many of the uneducated attend to any one reading. The reading is, however, not unfrequently interrupted by rude comments from the listeners. If a newspaper be read, the police, or crimes, are mostly the parts preferred. But the most approved way of passing the evening among the Jew boys is to play at draughts, dominoes, or cribbage, and to bet on the play. Draughts and dominoes are unpractised among the costermonger boys, but some of the young Jews are adepts in those games. A gentleman who took an interest in the Jew lads told me that he had often heard the sort of reading and comments I have described when he had called to talk to, and perhaps expostulate with these youths in a coffee shop, but he informed me that they seldom regarded any expostulation, and seemed to be little restrained by the presence of a stranger, the lads all muttering and laughing in a box among themselves. I saw seven of them a little after eight in the evening in a coffee shop in the London Road, although it is not much of a Jewish locality and two of them were playing at draughts for coffee, while the others looked on, betting halfpennies or pennies, with all the eagerness of gamblers unrestrained in their expressions of delight or disappointment as they thought they were winning or losing, and commenting on the moves with all the assurance of connoisseurship. Sometimes they squabbled angrily, and then suddenly dropped their voices, as the master of the coffee shop had once or twice cautioned them to be quiet. The dwellings of boys such as these are among the worst in London as regards ventilation, comfort or cleanliness. They reside in the courts and recesses about Whitechapel and Petticoat Lane and generally in a garret. If not orphans, they usually dwell with their father. I am told that the care of a mother is almost indispensable to a poor Jew boy and having that care he seldom becomes an outcast. The Jewesses and Jew girls are rarely itinerant street sellers, not in the proportion of one to twelve, compared with the men and boys. 
In this respect, therefore, the street Jews differ widely from the English costermongers and the street Irish, nor are the Hebrew females even stall-keepers in the same proportion. One Jew boy's lodging which I visited was in a back garret, low and small. The boy lived with his father, a street seller of fruit, and the room was very bare. A few sacks were thrown over the old palace. A blanket seemed to be used for a quilt. There were no fire-irons nor fender, no cooking utensils. Beside the bed was an old chest serving for a chair, while a board resting on a trestle did duty for a table. This was once, I presume, a small street stall. The one not very large window was thick with dirt and patched all over. Altogether, I have seldom seen a more wretched apartment. The man, I was told, was addicted to drinking. The callings of which the Jew boys have the monopoly are not connected with the sale of any especial article, but rather with such things as present a variety from those ordinarily offered in the streets, such as cakes, sweetmeats, fried fish, and, in the winter, elder wine. The cakes known as bullers, a mixture of egg, flour, and candied orange or lemon peel, cut very thin and with a slight colouring from saffron or something similar, are now sold principally, and used to be sold exclusively, by the Jew boys. Almond cakes, little round cakes of crushed almonds, are at present vended by the Jew boys, and their sponge biscuits are in demand. All these dainties are bought by the street lads of the Jew pastry cooks. The difference in these cakes, in their sweetmeats, and their elder wine, is that there is a dash of spice about them not ordinarily met with. It is the same with the fried fish, a little spice or pepper being blended with the oil. In the street sale of pickles, the Jews have also the monopoly. These, however, are seldom hawked, but generally sold from windows and doorsteads. The pickles are cucumbers or gherkins and onions, a large cucumber being tuppence and the smaller a penny and a halfpenny. The faults of the Jew lad are an eagerness to make money by any means, so that he often grows up a cheat, a trickster, a receiver of stolen goods, though seldom a thief, for he leaves that to others. He is content to profit by the thief's work, but seldom steals himself, however he may cheat. Some of these lads become rich men, others are vagabonds all their lives. None of the Jew lads confine themselves to the sale of any one article, nor do they seem to prefer one branch of street traffic to another. Even those who cannot read are exceedingly quick. I may here observe, in connection with the receipt of stolen goods, that I shall deal with this subject in my account of the London thieves. I shall also show the connection of Jewesses and Jews with the prostitution of the metropolis in my forthcoming exposition of the London prostitutes. End of section 22